right, yes. I like you, Come on, awkward time to clap or not to clap, right? Yes. Do we pray, do we clap for the prayer or do we not, right? And so, I don't know. It's, uh, it's like to chip or not to chip. Do you pray before the chips or do you pray once the meal comes when you go out to eat? So, I don't know. Me being a Hispanic dude, we just jump straight into the chips and salsa and you pray for the meal. So, anyways, so that, that's up for debate. But when the Bible says that when he who finds a wife finds a good thing, Man, I found my good thing, right? And so me and Myrna will be married 10 years in January of 2017. Yeah. So it's been, it's been amazing 10 years. I didn't know, uh, my parents didn't know if she'd be able to deal with me for that long. And so uh, so we got two beautiful kids together. We got a picture of them. Anaya's got the rest of her head. We just didn't get it in the photo. So just so you know, we've seen that girl with half a head. Yes, that's his daughter. We had no idea. No, so this is my daughter, Anaya. She's six, and she starts kindergarten this year. And I'm completely insecure with that. I, uh, man, I'm not sure how I feel. You know, like, oh gosh, there's going to be other people in class with you. There's going to be boys there, and other. It just, and I don't know anybody else. It just makes them first grade is like a big scary thing, you know. And so I don't even want to think about high school. And then my son is four, and his name is Uzziah. And so we've got him for a couple more years in the house. But man, having kids has been one of, one of the greatest things in my life. I tell my students all the time: your parents used to be cool uh, before you came along, right? And, uh, and when you move out, they'll be cool again, right? Because when, when you try to go on a date night, when you, when you first have kids, it's like an act of Congress. It's so crazy. It's like trying to figure out, well, we can only go between uh, 6.30 and 8.30 because that's when, when he or she eats, right? And then before you go, like trying to find a sitter is a big thing. Then you got to load up like the tactical diaper bag, right? You're going to have like nine bottles, extra formula, three changes of clothes, and a dozen diapers just in case, right? And then your car is loaded down to with like the emergency bug out pack. It's just got to be ready to go. And so having kids is different. When Anaya was real little, we, we cuddled all the time and watched football and hunting stuff. It didn't matter because she didn't have an opinion. But then at two years old, she developed one. She developed a little opinion, right? So I've got my wife who's got a big opinion. Then I got my two-year-old daughter who's starting to develop an opinion. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't know if I can handle two female opinions in my life, right? And so in, in trying to be a good father and a good dad, I want to connect with my kids the best I can. And so I was like, well, baby, what do you like to watch? And she likes Doc's Miss Stuffins, right? And, and Sophia the First, right? Those are two things that I have zero interest in, right? We're watching Doc McStuffins, and the whole time I'm thinking, I was like, there is no way that a stuffed teddy bear can contract the measles. Zero way. That's not even close to being true. And if the duck squeaker is broken, it needs to be thrown away or given to the goodwill. You know, like, there's no way this little doctor thing needs to try and fix it, right? And so she liked that stuff. And I was like, ah, I tried my best to connect with her. But it was, mm, it was okay, right? I bought her all the stuff and made her happy, right? And then my son came along, and I was like, surely we'll be able to bond on sports. And at two years old, he hates sports, right? He likes the Octonauts, right? And Paw Patrol, I'm, and I'm watching these shows, too, and I'm like, there's no way that a penguin puts on a scuba uniform and goes down and saves animals that talk to people. Doesn't happen, right? And neither do, uh, do you know, dogs running around saving things, for those that know Paw Patrol. It was about a year ago when the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles made a resurgence, right? And so my kids were, were one day, they were watching it, and I come over and say, oh, my gosh, you're watching the Ninja Turtles. They're like, yeah, Dad, how do you know about this? I was like, because I like them. It used to be cool, man. Let me tell you all about Donatello, Leonardo, Michelangelo, and Raphael. Let me tell you all about them, right? And I loved the Ninja Turtles so much. And they were like, Dad, you know this? I was like, oh, my gosh. 
Yes, I know this. This used to be my life, and I had flashbacks of when I was a kid. I used to be ADD. I'll just give you a little background about who I was, right? I, I was crazy ADD. At a young age, they, they diagnosed me with ADD, right? I was terrible at math, but I could ADD really well. And so they diagnosed me with ADD. And so I, I've got it. Apparently, I'm extremely distracted easily. I like to talk. And all I remember from the parent-teacher conference was that Jonathan likes to get up and talk to a lot of people, and that he's easily distracted. And I said, who doesn't like to do that, right? You're telling me, teacher lady, you'd rather do math than talk to your friends? Mm, no, right? And so I was like, I, I was crazy ADD, and they suggested I go to the doctor. And my parents were like, mm, nah, we're going to do something else, right? So my parents went with a more holistic, all-organic, non-GMO, you know, gluten-free way of, uh, of addressing my ADD problem, right? And so it was prescribed to me two to three times a day. It was about three feet long, three and a half feet long, and uh, it was a black braided leather belt, right? My dad would apply it two to three times a day or as needed, and you know those organic things? If it says, or as needed, it's really probably not doing anything, because if it was doing something, then if you take too much of it, bad things would happen inside, right? And so it says, you know, take as, as much as needed, right? So I got spankings and whoopings all the time, right? And my dad's primary, you know, drug of choice and way to... Uh, to, you know, remedy me was the belt, and my mom, for my Hispanic friends in here, her, uh, you know, drug of choice was the uh, the chancla, right? How many of you guys know what the chancla is, right? And for for my Hispanic friends that don't, for for my non-Hispanic friends that don't know what the chancla is, that is simply a sandal, right? And so my mom was double jointed in the hips; she still is, and uh, and she could unload that thing so fast it was like, right? And I was like. I would get hit, man, just pow, right with that chunk. Like, oh, my God. You'd have, like, the, the size of the shoe in your cheek. And you're like, oh, oh, Mom, this is illegal, right? But you're healed. And I was like, dude, I'm not healed. It hurts so bad. I don't want to do bad things. I guess you're right. I'm healed. And so, man, she got so good with that thing. Like, you know, and then I knew as I got a little bit older, it's like, all right, the mom's reach is about here. Two steps back. Right? Out of range. Uh-huh. Figured it out, right? Then mom adapted, right? Mom in, in the, uh, the, the at night, I guess, would practice throwing the chunkla, right? So it didn't matter. You know, I'd be two, two, three steps out of the way. She'd get that thing, right, and throw it. And then she could banana curve it. She could get me, you know, she'd lead me, you know what I mean? And then when you got hit by it, you had to bring it back, right? And that was the walk of shame. Like an offering, you're like, God, oh, you got me, right? And so growing up as, as a Hispanic kid, you know, I got beat, right? So my parents beat the ADD right out of me, right? I think all I got is A and D left. They beat one D out of me. But as a kid, I loved the Ninja Turtles so much, and I had an addictive personality, right? And so Saturday mornings was dedicated to Sunday to, to cartoons. I, I remember that. Now it's dedicated to, like, infomercials about AARP and, like, Shark Steam Op and stuff. But Saturdays used to be sacred to kids. You could wake up early and watch cartoons. I remember when I discovered the Ninja Turtles, immediately I was drawn to that they were turtles, right? And I was like, yes, this is awesome, right? And then I would watch it. I would make my, my chocolate milk in the morning before my parents got up, my Nesquik, and I would have it, and I would sit in front of the TV, right? And I would watch TV like, I like watch it, like you're there, you know? And so I remember learning the song, you know, Teenage Mutant. I memorized the song. Then I memorized everybody that was there, right? Then I memorized all the villains. Then I was like, I've got to have the toys, Right? I have to have that. So for my birthday and for Christmas, what do you want? Ninja Turtle toys. 
which ones? All, right? And so when you wrote on your Christmas list, Ninja Turtle toys, all, right? And so, and so I wanted Ninja Turtle toys. And then from there, it wasn't, it wasn't good enough. I wanted to dress like them. So I had a Ninja Turtle shirt and backpack and shoes and a little thermos thing and the lunchbox, the metal lunchbox, not these cheesy, you know, foam ones, but the metal ones that could be used as a weapon, Right? Yeah, you know, before lunch, it had a little more, you know, heft to it. But after lunch, you know, you had it twice. But, you know, so you had that, that metal lunchbox, right? I had it all. And I loved the Ninja Turtles. And so my passion for the Ninja Turtles grew more, right? And so all I wanted to do was eat like the Ninja Turtles. And they eat cheese pizza, right? But I was lactose intolerant. So it hurt me so much to eat it. <laughs> I just want to be a Ninja Turtle. But it hurt, right? But I pushed through. I, I pushed through because I was dedicated, right? And so it grew and it grew and it grew until finally that I realized the Ninja Turtle stood for one thing. That was justice. And they administered justice through force, right? Yeah, they, they, they imposed their justice on you. And so I remember learning the moves. I wanted to be just like them. My favorite was the orange one. I don't remember his name is anymore. Raphael, maybe. I don't know. But I wanted to be the orange one. And I would, I would learn the moves and I would do this stuff. And my sister started kind of getting into, uh, into Ninja Turtles, too. So she was April O'Neil, and we would, we'd play Ninja Turtles all the time, right? And so one Sunday afternoon, I'll never forget this, Sunday afternoons are sacred for naps, right? Can I get an amen? Yes. The only thing that should happen on Sunday afternoons is napping and football, right? The only two things. And you knew that if you woke your parents up from a nap, man, you're just getting beat. Didn't even know what happened. First instinct, pop, pop, right? Now tell me what happened. Oh, I'm sorry, son, right? And so if the kids are quiet and they're not causing a ruckus, then let them be. And that, that's kind of the rule in our house now. Well, me and my sister are playing uh, Ninja Turtles. We're, we're, we're playing. And I said, Jeanette, man, they do this awesome kick where they spin around. And it's called a roundhouse kick. And I'm short, chubby, you know, don't bend real well. And so I'm like, look, let's see if I can get it up to your head. She's like, okay. So she stands there, right? First one, like down by the knees. Stretch a little bit, you know. Second one, up near the waist. I was like, all right, I'm getting a little better. And I was like, one more, I'm getting tired, right? And so, so, so the last kick comes around, and all I remember feeling different was that my foot hit something. It made contact. As I'm spinning around, all I see is my sister's eyes rolling in the back of her head, and she goes crumbling down. Jeanette, you know, I was like, oh gosh, no, Jeanette. And she's not, she's not saying anything. So, you know, as a kid, you got a critical decision to make. All right, I think I'm going to get spanked. Either way, right? But do I go tell mom and dad now or wait to see if she's really dead or not, right? So I was like, oh, gosh. So I waited. I waited like a second. I was like, oh. You do the pee-pee dance as a kid when you're really nervous. Oh, man. So I ran to my parents' room, and, uh, and I opened the door. And you don't go to dad's side because dad's first instinct, remember, right? So I go to mom, and mom, mom, me and Jeanette were playing. And uh, she got kicked in the head somehow, and she's laying on the ground. She's not moving right now. <laughs> so my mom comes out there, right, as my sister's uh, waking up, right? And she wakes up, and all my sister says was, he kicked me, right? And my dad's walking in about that time, and he says to me, it's those Ninja Turtles, right? And so every dream I had of being a Ninja Turtle crashed in that moment as he beat the Ninja Turtles out of me, right? And so all my dreams of Ninja Turtles got erased. But you can take away the Ninja Turtle toys and the Ninja Turtle shows, but the Ninja Turtles live in my heart, right? I am a Ninja Turtle, right? So as I'm watching this with my kids, I'm like, 
Oh, no, this is bad. We cannot watch the Ninja Turtles. I had flashbacks of, uh, of my childhood. And my parents noticed something. They noticed that, that, Jonathan, this show is having great influence over you. We, we've identified that this show is not only harmful to you, but it's beginning to be harmful to your sister, right? And, and fr- from your sphere of influence, it looks like it only, can only be harmful to your third grade class. So we're going to go ahead and remove this from your life. But today we're talking about restoring influence. So we're going to read the definition of influence. And influence is just this right here. It's the capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone or something or the effect itself. It's an influence is having the capacity to have an effect on the character or the development of someone. So the Ninja Turtles, as, as innocent as this thing was, was beginning to have a, a, a role in my development of who I was as an individual. This is what it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. It says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. What he's saying is, he says, hey, church, look, you have a lot of influences, but you don't have a lot of fathers. I believe that's what we have now. Our teenagers are inundated with influences. They're inundated with things that are saying, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to be. But we need spiritual fathers and mothers in the faith to rise up and say, hey, son, daughter, let me tell you where that leads, where that goes. This is what I urge you to do. I don't know where Paul was in the world. I don't know what he was doing. But Paul would have been an awesome guy to follow on Instagram. And his snaps had to have been amazing on Snapchat. Because he, he was, you know, taking pictures with the jailers. It's him and, and his bro were, were singing, and they're let go. He said, hey, look, just got this jailer saved. Hashtag Paul in prison, right? Or, you know, or, or he's on the ship headed out to go to, go to Rome, and all of a sudden he, he takes a picture of the ship in chains, you know, boarding with my, with my deputy guy, right? And then his next picture is him on the island, right? Oh, ship crashed, right? Hashtag Paul in jail, right? And so I don't know. But somewhere in the world Paul is writing, and he sees it fit. That he addresses this problem. That he addresses this issue. He's saying, hey, look, you have so many influences, but not many fathers. See, a parent tells you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Influence tells you what you want to hear because they benefit from what you do. See, parents, we need, we need more parents to rise up. So let's say you don't have any kids. Man, we need you to take spiritual responsibility for the kids that are around you. Or you can be a father or a mother in the faith that can speak life into that kid. Maybe they don't have anybody. Right now we're growing up. Our kids are growing up in a society where, where 34% of kids are growing up in a single parent home. Man, they need somebody to say, hey, look, let me tell you this or that. Check out these stats. We got the, the most connected generation in history. So let, let's read this. There are roughly 26.9 million young people in the United States right now, right? And so maybe that number's going up because someone had a birthday. Jimmy and Bob had a birthday today. So maybe that's 26.7, you know, 9 million, whatever. It, it, it went up a little bit. We'll just round it up, right? And so here we go. They spend an estimated $258.7 billion per year on clothes, on personal care accessories, on hair things, on, on apps, on music. This is what they're spending money on, $258.7 billion per year. They are more in tune with pop culture, current events, and real-time news than any other generation before. They, they, they've got this stuff so connected. 
They're staying so, so connected. They, uh, the average age for a person to get the smartphone is 11. So 11-year-olds, average age, so that means there's some younger and some older. But an average age is 11 to get a smartphone. They spend an average of six hours per day on their phone. That's a lot of hours, right? And they spend a total of 11 hours a day in front of some type of screen. Whether that be a computer screen, TV, you know, the iPad. They're spending a lot of time in front of these things. In, in those 11 hours, I wonder how many minutes of that is compiled up of ads and advertisements and pop-ups. And as they're being inundated by the internet on, on, on culture and stuff like that, now people are, are hoping to go viral. The Chewbacca mom gave everybody hope, right? If I go buy a Yoda mask, I'm going viral, right? And so everybody's hoping to get that next video. Everybody's hoping to get that next thing. So there's all these sorts of challenges going around. Dumb stuff, crazy things, the lip challenge, make your lips big, right? They're, they're, they're doing the hot water challenge. Can you throw boiling water on yourself and be okay, right? I'm like, are you serious? But they're being influenced by outside voices. What do we expect? We need fathers and mothers to rise up in the faith. This is what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 17. As he's prioritizing influencing young people. We pick it up here at the end of the chapter in verse 24 of Matthew 17. It says, after Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum. We, so we know there's, there's 13 people here because Jesus rolled 12 deep everywhere he went, right? So, so he's got 12 people with him. He's got his disciples, right? And it's Jesus. So we can do some kind of math. That's 13 people, right? So they're, they're going into Capernaum. The collectors of the two drachma tax, they came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon, he asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duties and taxes? From their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt. And Jesus said to him, But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find four drops of coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and for yours. So we've got 13 people here, right? Jesus' 12 disciples and Jesus. And he's only paying the tax on two people. See, if you read back in Exodus chapter 30, verse 14, as they're lying out the, the temple tax rule, they say anybody over the age of 20 pays the temple tax. That means Jesus and Peter were the only two people over the age of 20. Out of all the people Jesus could have selected, he could have set up you know, an American Idol type audition for the best and the brightest minds. But Jesus chose the young, and, and, and he decided to influence them because they are influential amongst their peers. Jesus saw the value of prioritizing young people, and he trusted his church with them. This is, what, this is what I believe, if we had an accurate depiction of what the Last Supper painting looked like, knowing that most of the disciples were under the age of 20, I think this is what it would look like, right? And so we got some of our students from, from EP here. We got Brandon Coker and Jude Wood. We got Marshall Parker, Tiger, Cohen, Joseph, Canaan, Andrew, Jonathan, and Chris, right? Those are world changers. Those, those are who we're raising up. Those, those are the people right now that we're influencing for the gospel. Those are people right now. So that, that's kind of what it would be like if we had an accurate depiction of maybe what the disciples looked like. Maybe they had beards. I can't grow one, so I'm a little jealous. So no one there has a beard. But you know what I'm saying? It would look a little different than we think Jesus understood the value of influencing young people. Because if we're going to restore the influence, 
we got to know a few things. And I want you to write these four things down on restoring influence. The first thing you got to do on restoring the influence is you got to identify what's influencing them. You got to find that thing. What's influ- I'll tell you what's influencing them right now. Number one is going to be culture. Culture's huge. Friends. You got those, those viral things that are going around. But they're not much different than the things you went through. They just look a little different. The methods changed. Instead of it being a handwritten note, it's a text message typed out. Instead of it being a formal invite, it's a Facebook invite. The, the, the message is the same. The transportation device has changed a little bit. And a lot of times we're so put off by what that looks like. I don't know what I'm going to find if I hop on his phone. I don't know what I'm going to do, how to, how to unlock the phone. I don't know how to do those things. Google it. Ask him. Hey, bro, let me see your phone. Unlock this thing for me real quick. Open up the Internet. What's that, right? You, you can do those things, but a lot of times we're scared of it because it looks a little different. Let me tell you, fathers, mothers, aunts, uncles, grandparents, spiritual parents, we need you. We need you to begin to go and dive in to see what is influencing my son or daughter, my grandson, my aunt, my, my niece, my nephew. What is influencing them? You got to identify those things. The second thing I want you guys to take away is you got to find something to bond over. A lot of times it can be the hardest thing. My dad, when I, when I was younger, me and my dad are best friends. He was the best man at my wedding. And so it, it was a weird transition from best man to, like, dad, right? It was, it was super awkward. The wedding planner was like, mm, I don't know what to do. It was like, he's the best man. And so me and my dad, when I was growing up, he, he loved baseball. He loved baseball, right? And he's like, son, you're going to play baseball. And I said, okay, dad, right? And I thought I was going to be good, right? I was terrible. Remember that short, chubby Hispanic thing, right? Yeah. I've got a thing. I think it's a, I think it actually could be diagnosed with out of shapeitis, right? I get tired quickly. Um, I can't run very far. My, <gasps> I start breathing heavy, you know. I suffer from it, right? And so, but anyway, so he put me in baseball. And, and I, I tried my best. But that ADD thing would kick in in outfield. That's where they put me, right, because they never hit the ball to the outfield at a young age. So I'm sitting there, and I've got the glove on my face, right, picking weeds. How many of you guys have, have kids or grandkids in baseball? And it's just kind of like, wow, don't ever put the kid in the outfield, man. That is the worst. And so that was me. I couldn't hit the ball to save my life. And my dad tried. For three years, we did that. Then he said, well, maybe if we put him in soccer, right? But remember, again, the out-of-shape-itis thing, right? And so I, I couldn't run very long. And so they, my dad finally said, I love to hunt. He, we, we would go hunting every now and then. So for my 10th birthday, he bought me a Remington 870 youth model shotgun, right? And we went on our first dove hunt, and I instantly fell in love. I was like, this is what I've been created to do, right? I could shoot. I loved it. I love being outside. I love the outdoors. I love to hunt and fish. And that was the one thing my dad and I bonded over. It was the thing that solidified our relationship. A lot of times, we want to be too selfish and say, if you don't like this, then I don't know what else to like. If we can't bond over this thing, then I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Well, you got to try to find something that you guys can meet on the middle ground on. We, later on, it was about a year ago, we're having lunch at, uh, at Whataburger after going to Bass Pro Shops. And it's me, my dad, and my son. And uh, my son's sitting there in the high chair eating his little chicken strips. And we're having a conversation. And my dad looks at him and just whispers, maybe you're the one. <laughs> like, what? What did you say? What'd you say? No, nothing, nothing, nothing. I was like, no, 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 no. What? You said maybe he's the one. Maybe he's the one what? He's like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he's the one that, that'll play baseball. And I was like, 
I, I didn't realize I was such a disappointment to you, man. Maybe he's the one that'll play baseball. Maybe he won't, right? So I don't know. But he starts T-ball this September, so we'll see. Maybe he is the one. All right, but you got to find something to bond over. The third thing I want you guys to take away is you got to be their parent, not their buddy. They got plenty of friends. They need someone that's going to be their parent. They need someone that, that's going to that's gonna say, son, look, despite what you think, this may make you mad, but that's not right. They need a parent, not a buddy. I had a friend in high school whose parents divorced our junior year. His name was Brian, and he worked at Six Flags. And his dad worked security there, too. They divorced his junior in high school, and he took it real rough, as most divorces go. And so our senior in high school, he comes to me, he's like, dude, my dad's acting super strange. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, he got a new car, and it's like a sports car. He had a truck. And I was like, oh, no big deal, whatever. He said, but he's dyed his hair blonde, and he's pierced his ears, and he's gotten tattoos. I'm like, well, that's kind of strange. He's like, yeah. He's like, you won't believe what, what he's doing now. I said, what? He said, you know so-and-so that graduated our senior year, or our freshman year? And I said, yeah. He's like, he's dating her. I was like, what? He's dating that girl that's three years older than we are? He's like, yeah, it's super weird. I was like, that's ultra strange, dude. Yeah, that's, that's really weird. His dad was asking him. It was just an awkward situation. And when Brian should have been getting advice from his parents coming out of his senior in high school about what schools to go to, how to apply for financial aid, what it's going to look like to be a man, his dad's asking him friend questions, not giving him parental advice. So, so he found himself over at my house more and more and more. We're filling out college applications together and applying for, for different kind of scholarships and grants together. And I felt real bad for him, but I noticed in that moment, you know what, even though you might not like your parent all the time, and maybe sometimes your parent is wrong, but they're doing their best to look out for you. And that's what we need as a church. I mean, we need spiritual parents. We need spiritual mothers and fathers that are saying, hey, look, I, I might not know it all. My way might be a little bit different, but I think I can share a little bit of advice on that issue right there. And don't wait for an invitation. Don't wait for those things. If you see the need, just simply step up and feel the need. The last thing I want you guys to leave with, fourth thing, is we got to allow them to journey. Sometimes it can be the scariest thing. You've got to allow them to journey, to kind of figure it out for themselves. I'm sure most of you remember what it was like being 16, 17, 18 years old. And maybe you still have some of the scars to show that I was young, right? But a lot of times that, that could be the scariest part, was letting them journey. My senior year in high school, I was ready to be done with church. I was turning 18 in February. I got, I got into an altercation with a bunch of these guys, and they said, we're going to get you a church the next Wednesday. And I said, well, no, you're not, right? I, was, I wasn't dumb. I was like, well, I'm just not going to go. My best friend had been inviting me to go to this other church, and it was a different denomination than I was. I grew up Baptist. But I knew that, that something wasn't right. I had, I had decided in my heart that if this is all Christianity has to offer, is showing up at a gathering, reading some scripture, and then leaving, and nothing changing, and nothing being different, then I don't want a part of that. I read in the Bible, and I see Peter, James, and John doing awesome things. Silver and gold we do not have, but what we do have, we give you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And I see those things. Like, that's exciting. That's awesome. And Jesus said, greater things will you do. And I read those things, and I said, well, obviously, either this is fake or this isn't the right place. And so I'm 18 years old, and, I had, and I'm about to be 18, and I already absolved in my mind that I'm not going to go to church past 18. My parents cannot make me. I'm an adult. I can do what I want. And I get into this fight with these guys, and and they said, we're going to get you to church. And my best friend invited me. He said, we need a bass player. Come play for us. I said, okay. I had a good excuse not to go. And so I show up, and I walk in the building. And immediately I sense something different. This is what I had been looking for. 
There's people there that are worshiping Jesus with everything that they got. They're standing up in the front worshiping. I'd never heard the word presented in that way. I was blown away. I said, this is real. This is what I'm looking for. To my parents, it was a really scary thing. Where are you going? What church is this? Who goes there? What are they teaching? It was completely different. But they had to let me journey. Because in that church, I met my pastor, who's now your pastor, Adam McKay. In that church, in that church, I got connected with small group leaders that would help knock all the rust and that junk off of me. And the stupid questions I had and, and the divisiveness that I had. In that church, I would meet those people that helped shape, mold to where I am today. A lot of times, parents, it can be scary to watch them journey by themselves. You have to hope and say, hey, Lord, Lord we've done our best. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Just train up a child in the ways that they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart. But we do our best. And sometimes you've got to allow them to journey. As we close out, I want to go over the key scripture once again and encourage you guys that there are many, many influences. But we need spiritual fathers and mothers to rise up in the faith. Our heads in the all across the room. Jesus, we love you so much, Father. Lord, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the influential people in this room. Lord, for the aunts and the uncles that are going to begin to contend for the faith of their nieces and nephews, Father God. And for the grand, grandfathers and grandmothers, Lord, who are already, Lord, praying for their grandsons and granddaughters in the wee hours of the night, Father. For the moms and the dads. Lord Jesus, who sometimes feel so lost. Lord, I pray, Father God, that you just begin to give them direction. Father God, I begin to remind him, Lord, that your, your promises are yes and amen, Father God. And bring them back to the scripture, Father God, of the prodigal son. Lord Jesus, that they will return, Lord Jesus. Father God, for those who are away from you, Lord, right now, I pray, Father, Lord, at 1220, Lord Jesus, you just begin to remind them, Father God, of the purposes and the callings that rest on their lives. Father God, give them dreams, Lord Jesus, the dreams that they had when they were younger, Lord, of serving you. Father, we thank you so much, Lord. We pray all of this in your holy. Would you stand with me all across the room, please? Quickly stand with me. If you've got a son or a daughter or a grandchild, neighborhood kid that you love greatly, that's away from the Lord, that the influences of this world has has, uh, led them down a wrong path. Their trajectory is off, and you know it. I want to pray with you right where you're at. If that's you and you say, yeah, Pastor, I've got my child is, you know, 28 years old, 30 years old, and ever since they were young, I just, this thing grabbed a hold to them. I, they, got, they got lied to and they bought that lie. Or they've done this or they've done this and now they can't seem to get out of this spiral. Or my, my grandson really concerns me. He's an atheist or bisexual, transsexual. And I just, I just... I just don't want that to be anymore. Well, this is a corporate anointing for this church to see our young people serve the Lord. I want you just to agree with me now. If that's you, you just hold that up before the Lord, and we're going to pray over it. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray over the men and women, young men and women who we love. Lord God, we pray right now in Jesus' name, all those other influences would just be ceased. 
that they would have no power, whether it be substance abuse, Lord God, whether it be whether it be a lie that they're gay, whether it be some lie that they were created to 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 be different, and and Lord, all those things, Lord God, I just pray right now in Jesus' name that you would invade that space, Lord. That Lord, what we learned here today, that we could be good moms and dads, even if it's we're spiritual mom and dad, and not we don't have a physical right to that person, but that we have a spiritual desire for them. Lord God, I pray right now you give us influence. Lord God, that we take back what's been stolen in Jesus' name. We find what to bond over, what to connect over, and use that as the pathway to sh- to build trust again that has been lost. Father, we pray for mistrust and uh, to be removed and, and, and confidence and encouragement. Lord, we pray, Lord God, that uh, as we're having to watch some and let them journey themselves, oh God, that they would come to the end of that pathway and realize it's a dead end. And when they look up like a child should do and say, where's mom and dad? They're always stable. They would find us there as stable individuals. Those who've not turned our backs on the Lord or those of us that made the same mistakes can say, listen, I did the same thing. Let me tell you what God did for me to get me out of it. Father, we cover them right now. We call you home. We call you home and say, come back to the Lord. Those who were raised in church, those who know truth, but have lost the understanding of the power of God to transform or that they would sense that again, know that again, that their own parents, their own grandparents would be able to articulate that and connect that back to them. Just keep your head bowed and your eye closed for just a moment. If you're in this place and you're away from God, you feel the guilt of your sin. Friend, I've been there. Dear God, I've been there. Maybe you used to go to church. Maybe you used to be a Christian. But life just happened. And you, and you went away from the Lord. And you, and, you, and you don't like that. You feel ashamed of that. You've been coming services and things trying to reconnect. Friend, let me tell you something. You're just a prayer away. I remember... I remember wetting the the stairs of that church up front with my tears as I came back to the Lord. I knew better. I was such an idiot. I was so shameful. Oh, but he was so graceful. Today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to know him. If you've been away from the Lord and you want to come home, this is your moment. What else matters in this hour? This is it. Listen, God is not mad at you. He doesn't hate you. I always say it like this. Jesus could have his death could have been branded in any capacity. He could have been clutched over after being stabbed in the stomach. He could have, he could have been, you know, shot with arrows. But he was nailed to a cross. His arms always branded and stretched out wide, always welcoming you and me no matter how far away we go. Today, if you're away from the Lord, I want to call you home. You say, well, Pastor, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Well, the Bible says it like this. Confess with your mouth. And believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Basically, you just make him Lord through a prayer connection. He did everything else. He paid for it all. He paid for every time. Every time you've done those drugs, he paid for it. He paid for your forgiveness. He paid for every adulterous affair you've had. He's paid for every lie, everything you've stolen, every horrible thing that you've planned. Every horrific thing you've said, he's already paid for it and covered it. Now it's your turn to receive that by asking him to be the Lord of your life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're away from God or you've never been a Christian, you say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm ready. I'm ready to give myself to the Lord. With no one looking around, would you quickly and quietly lift your hand? No one will know it. Just be me, you, and Jesus, and I'll pray with you. God bless you, sweet love. God bless you, sweet love. God bless you, ma'am. Thank you, sir, for your honesty. 
Anybody else? Give you four or five more seconds. We're going to move on. Pray for me, Pastor. I don't want to live like this anymore. I see you. You can put your hand down. God bless you. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. It's already been about six or seven of you. Don't want to miss anyone. Amen. Two seconds left. Anybody? Okay. God bless you. You can put your hands down. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I always say it like this. I don't think there's anything magical about the words. I think what's supernatural is that God's dealing with your heart and you responded by lifting a hand. The prayer is just a time of sealing it. It's kind of like a, a period at the end of the sentence. God's been working on you for weeks, months. You, so, I bet some of you got a grandma been praying for this moment. And, and God's, God's loved you since you were ever conceived. And so now as we give ourselves to him, I'd like to help you by leading you in a prayer. And if you'll just pray this with me and mean it with all of your heart. In fact, can I get the entire congregation to say this out loud with those who lifted their hands? Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today, I admit I'm a sinner. I admit the shame and guilt that's in my life. But I ask you now to forgive me, to cleanse me. I hold to the truth that you are the Lord. I hold to the truth that you're my Lord. And here and now, I receive your forgiveness. Say it again. Say, I receive your forgiveness. Thank you for dying on a cross for my sins. Cleanse me now. I belong to you. I promise to serve you all the days of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. I'm yours forever. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for every man and woman who lifted their hand or wanted to. Lord, I pray that those who prayed that prayer and meant it from their heart, that right now they would sense forgiveness. That they would sense it. That it's not an intellectual thing, that it would go those six inches or eight inches from their brain to their heart. And they would know it's over. It's done. Lord, I pray, Lord God, that their their identity would begin to shift in their own mind. And they would realize, you know what, I'm not that person anymore. That I, I, I prayed, I asked God, God came into my life. He filled me with his Holy Spirit. I'm his now. Lord, I pray they would have that revelation, that understanding. For as we think, so are we. That they are yours. They belong to you. And that, Lord God, they may still have to deal with the ramifications of things they've done in the past. But the past is gone. And they're new in Christ. And may they feel that and sense that all their days. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen and amen.